Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lion and Lamb Ministries, and we'd like to welcome you to our Arab Shabbat service here at B'nai Shalom. Uh, this is a special Sabbath. Uh, we just got through having uh, Rosh Hashanah, the, the day of trumpets, Yom Teruah. Uh, and this is the Sabbath that falls within the ten days of what we call the Ten Days of Awe, Ten Days of Fear, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And we have a special name for this Sabbath. It's called Shabbat Shuva. And if you're familiar with any of the Hebrew expressions, you know that Teshuva means repentance. So this is a Sabbath about repentance, where we're repenting and uh, continuing on toward Yom Kippur. So this is a, a special Sabbath in, in our cycle. And we have a particular traditional teaching that always goes with this holiday season. And uh, that's what we're going to have this Shabbat. Uh, I want to remind everybody that we do have a Hanukkah conference coming up uh, that will be in December here in Oklahoma. You can go online, register for that event. We'd love to have you come and join us for Hanukkah at that time. But as we are now in the holiday season, uh, we are looking forward to finishing Yom Kippur and going to the Feast of Tabernacles. And as you all know, we actually go out to the campground uh, and invite brethren to come in. And we have uh, almost a 1,000 brethren that are going to be coming in and joining with us this year. We're looking forward to that event. Many teachers, musicians are coming in to make our time together very special. Looking forward to that. You'll be praying about that. Um, and also, if you're interested in getting the broadcast of those, uh, go to the website uh, and to tabernacles.com. You can see a way that you can get some of the nights of the live broadcast uh, over your computer. All right, without any further ado, let's get our Sabbath underway with Kiddush. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Please join our family as we welcome in the Sabbath. Can you unfold the candles out again? Not this time. That's so smoky. Okay, you ready? Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Mekhalom, Hasher Kedeshanu Emen Totah, Letivanu Lekhalikner, Shel Shabbat, Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the Universe, who has sanctified us by his commandments and has commanded us to be a light to the nations and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. Kiddush, the blessing over the cup. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Borei Pri HaGahafen Amen Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen.
Chamotzi, blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atadonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Now for the blessing of our wives. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sabbath day, and I thank you for the wife that you've given me. I pray that you would bless her, even in the middle of the night when she sees about the ways of the household. I pray that you would bless her and encourage her as she teaches and educates the children. I thank you for the blessing that she is to me and to our home and to our family. And I pray that you would encourage her and strengthen her. Give her the product of her hands in everything that she does. And Father, I confess to her and to you that I love my wife. So Father, I pray that you would bless her with your very best blessing on this Sabbath day. We also lift up the widows and orphans, those without a husband or a father at this time as well. So we thank you, Lord, in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Let us bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May He cause His face to shine upon you. May He lift up His countenance and grant you peace. May you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. May the Lord with you ever be. May He bring you home unto the land prepared for thee. bless you and grant you long life. May God make you a good husband and may he prepare a holy wife for you. May the Lord protect and defend you. May his spirit fill you with
bring you home unto the land prepared for thee. May God bless you and grant you long protect and defend you. May His Spirit fill you with grace. May our family grow in happiness, so hear our Sabbath Bahu et Aronai Ham Borach Baruch Aronai Ham Borach Leolaham Vahed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michmocha. Michmocha Baelim Adonai. Mihamocha neda harbachodesh no ratechilot o sefele o Blessing of the Messiah. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech ha'alam, asher natan lanu et derech ha'yeshua b'mashiach Yeshua. All together. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Veshamru. Veshamru v'nei Yisrael et ha'shabat, lasot et ha'shabat ladortam berit olam. Bene Avayom, Bene Israel, Odhit Leolam, Keshashet Yamim Asadonai, Et Hashemayim, Vayet Haaret, Avayom Hashemayi Shavat, Vayinafash. All together. The children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from his work and was refreshed. Amen. We all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kivu 
who to Leolam Vayed Yeshua Hamashiach Hu Adonai Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'ahavta. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Ochecha, b'chol levavcha uv'kol nashicha, uv'kol me'odecha. Ve'heyu ha'devarim ha'ale asher nechim e'zavcha, hayom alevavcha. V'shinan tam lavanecha, v'tepardabam p'shivtecha, b'yetecha, uv'lechtecha, v'derechu shakbika, uv'kumika. Ukeshatam la oto yadecha, v'heyu latotvot b'inenecha, uketartam amazuzo p'techa uv'isharecha. All together. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen.
sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men dream dreams. I'll pour out my spirit. My servants will prophesy.
Shabbat shalom. If you would, turn in your scriptures to Deuteronomy chapter 31. We're coming to the end of our Torah cycle here very shortly. Um, as you are opening the scripture there for our portion this week, let me do the blessing before the Torah. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech Olam Asher Bachabanu Mikol Hamim Venatan Lanu Et Torato Baruch Adonai Nonten HaTorah Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the Universe, who has chosen us from among all peoples and has given us your Torah. Blessed are you, O Lord, Giver of the Torah. Amen. Our Torah portion for this week is entitled Vayelech, which means and he went, comes from Deuteronomy chapter 31 here where it says this. Then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I can no longer go out and come in. Also, the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, in their land, when he destroyed them. The Lord will give them over to you, that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Amen. Our portion for this week uh, encompasses only one chapter of our scripture here, chapter 31 here in Deuteronomy. It is the shortest Torah portion in all of the Torah cycle. In contrast, as we start the new cycle coming up uh, here very soon with Bereshit, which incorporates oh, five, almost five and a half chapters of scripture, here as we come to the end of our Torah cycle, we have almost more concentrated words from the Lord through Moses, the prophet, and that these words almost have more impact, almost as if you're supposed to read them and take them to heart even more so than, than say, normal instruction. It's interesting because we do have this concentration of Scripture here. Through this teaching and through Moses, let us remember exactly what's going on again. Moses is speaking to the children of Israel. He's giving his last will and testament. He is a man who is about to die, who's not allowed to cross over to the promised land. They're standing on the banks of the Jordan, getting ready to cross over into the promised land. 
I spoke of last week's Torah portion where many of the themes of that Torah portion were directed toward us here in modern day lifetime in this day and age that the words of God through Moses in the scripture has the power to exist outside of time. He's speaking to not only the children of Israel who were there in ancient times, they're about to cross into the promised land, but he was speaking to us today. This theme continues to for us as well. This instruction several times here in scripture, and I gave you this little rule of thumb last week as well, is that when it says today in the scripture, that you can take that and you can apply that to your life today. And there's a couple other instances of that here in our Torah portion this week. Many of the themes are deeper than just Moses passing the leadership to Joshua and the children of Israel getting ready to enter into the promised land. As we're coming here toward the end of the script of the Torah cycle, many of this has greater prophecies pointing to the end of the age, pointing to the time in which the last generation will enter into the kingdom, enter into the millennial kingdom, almost as if that is the spiritual promised land that we've been journeying in the wilderness for many years, for a whole long time, um, in wherever we find ourselves, we, we are sinners, we go through trials and tribulations through all of our lives, and all of us are looking forward to the time in which we will see the kingdom, which when we will cross over that proverbial river and go into the promised land, into the place that God has promised to us. There's so many parallels and themes to that throughout all of the scripture. Also, one of the rules of thumb that you can do when you're reading the scriptures is this, is that when you see Joshua mentioned that the leadership of Israel is going from Moses to Joshua, Joshua, it's almost like it's almost too easy to figure this out. Yet sometimes we still don't think about this. Joshua, Yehoshua, his name means salvation. The very name Joshua is almost identical to Yeshua. Our Savior, Yeshua of Nazareth, who is the Messiah, the promised Son of God, who is the leader of the church, the congregation, who we look to him as the king, as the leader of us. And so as we see this transition from the leadership of Moses to Joshua, we can see a spiritual parallel in the sense that we're going from what Moses has instructed us through all of his words and through the Torah, through the law of Moses, and that now this transition, we're now to look to Yeshua, Joshua, to be now the leader who's going to lead us and lead the children of Israel. We're instructed in the New Testament when we teach our children, when we, have, when we consider ourselves to be the people of God, that we ourselves went through these same trials and these same tribulations. We went through the wilderness just like the children of Israel went through the wilderness. All ate the same spiritual meat, all ate the same spiritual, drank the same spiritual drink. And that when we tell the story of the Passover and the Exodus, that we're to speak it as if we were there. And so that same theme can go as we looked to Moses during that time. But then as the as our cycle comes to an end, we now look to another. We look to another leader, and that leader is Yeshua for his words, his leadership, his guidance. So as we go through, keep that in mind, that as we transition to Joshua, as the leader of Israel, we can spiritually look at our instruction through Moses is now transitioning to our instruction through Yeshua, if you will. 
What's interesting here about this phrase is, or actually the theme of this verse when it's talking about Moses. A couple of chapters from now, I believe it is chapter 33, it does call Moses and it says, this is the blessing which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel. As Moses is coming to the end of his life, as he's standing here today and he's saying, I am 120 years old today. It's almost, we see this shift of Moses being this amazing spiritual leader, this savior, messiah-like figure who led the children of Israel out of Egypt. And we see this transition to him being a man, that he represents man, he represents the instructions of man, that he simply was a man of God, and that when he describes and he says, I'm 120 years old today, that number is very fascinating because that goes back to the instruction to Noah where God would not strive with man more than 120 years. This is the number, this is the number of man, this is the number of the age of man. There's greater prophetic uh, implications of this number as well, that if we believe that the uh, time of creation is 6,000 years, and we believe that the timing is measured through sabbatical years and jubilee years, that's a fascinating number because in 6,000 years time, there's exactly 120 jubilee years. This number, 120, kind of represents the age of man, if you will. So when we look at this, this again ties to deeper uh, end time prophecy where it's like God will strive with man for 120 years. This is represented by Moses. And then when this transition to Joshua, there is, a, uh, there is an end time connection to the time in which Yeshua will come and reign on this earth after the time of man has passed. So there's a deeper uh, end time prophecy and, and prophetic implication to this entire story just here in the first couple of verses here of our Torah portion. The instruction of Moses, though through the Torah, all of those things, one of the things for us who are messianic, that instruction, I believe, can only take us so far. It takes us to the banks of the Jordan. It takes us to the point in which we stand at the judgment seat of God, which that last location where they are located here, the last of the journeys of the children of Israel in the wilderness, that means, the name of that location means house of judgment. They're standing at the very end. And when you get to that point, you've gone through all of the instruction of Moses, all of the commandments, all of these things that we learn how to live uprightly before the Lord through the Torah. And then we stand at the judgment seat. And at that point, it is up to Yeshua to be the one who is the final judge, who then leads us. The teachings of Moses, instructions in Torah take us only so far. It then is the work of Yeshua that is the one who by his sacrifice, we are then able to stand before the Almighty. It's by his blood, his sacrifice, his instruction, that we are able to take that next step toward the promised land or toward the kingdom, if you will. One thing that I would love to encourage people to do, obviously to get into the scripture and read, some people have described that they sometimes have a home verse, a verse that they are encouraged by, that they always go back, it's maybe one that they memorize or one that they always go back to, to be encouraged. It's like you're, you're sitting there, you're praying before the Lord and you have a verse that you just love, it's one of your favorite verses, always encourages you and always causes you to continue to move forward. It's, it might be a, a single verse or two verses together that 
encourage one another that or encourage yourself that you always go back to that verse um, for me uh, mine is Philippians chapter 4 when the verse that talks about be anxious for nothing but in all prayer and supplication in Yeshua the Messiah um, all of those things that's always been a verse that encourages me if you don't have a home verse I would actually encourage you possibly to consider this verse from our Torah portion here Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6 where it says here at the end of this first paragraph be strong and of good courage do not fear nor be afraid of them that would be any enemies or any struggles or hindrances in front of you for the Lord your God he is the one who goes before you he will not leave you nor forsake you amen and amen that is an encouraging verse for someone who ever is in any sort of struggle trial in their life to consider to come back read that verse if you highlight your scriptures by all means highlight that one and come back to that and read that verse and be encouraged and strengthened before you go and do anything in life. Now, one thing that's very interesting about that verse and about the scripture as a whole. Now, we do have um, issues through translations and other things where people have added to and taken away from the scripture. And I am not advocating in any way, shape, or form to add to or take away from the scripture. But there are those people who have, who have added uh, editor's notes and translation adjustments, if you will. Uh, the phrase that says, thus he declared all foods clean in the New Testament wasn't in any original manuscript. So some have added to the scripture. I would almost, it, it's too bad that those that have thrown a couple of those phrases in there don't kind of drop some you know, parenthetical statements that would actually be really encouraging. And this is what I would consider not adding to the scripture, but if you take notes, then right there with that verse, I would jot this one down. He says, I will not leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you. The Lord will be with you. However, the thing that he never said, and this is what you might write down. He never said it would be easy. He never said that things would not be difficult for you or that it would hurt or that it would be a struggle or that it would take time. He will not leave you nor forsake you, but as it goes through and as he leads and guides you, it, you will have to learn through struggles, through pain, through challenges. He never said it would be easy. That's something to, to keep in mind, and that was the case for Joshua and the children of Israel going into the promised land, is that it was not easy to go to war, to uh, cause, to dispossess all of these kingdoms from their land, to remove them. They had to walk around Jericho for seven days, huge walls. It was not just an easy task that just the Lord snapped his fingers and suddenly everything was was. They were defeated, they all fell down, and the children of Israel just marched in. It wasn't easy, but the Lord was with them. The Lord will guide them, and same for you in your life. The Lord will be with you. He'll guide you. He won't leave you. He won't forsake you, but he will still ask for you to learn and be challenged in your walk in everything that you do. Moses is speaking to Joshua here. This first paragraph where it says, be strong and of good courage. The, Moses is talking to the people. Moses went to the children of Israel and was speaking to these things. Then, starting at verse 7, Moses is then talking specifically to Joshua. And he says the same thing, but there is a distinction here of what Moses is saying to Joshua. Verse 7, then Moses called Joshua and said to him, in the sight of all Israel, be strong and of good courage. For you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. And you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. 
He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Same thing. However, Moses is now addressing Joshua as being the leader. There is something that's kind of funny about this phrase, and it's, uh, it's quite funny if you didn't, didn't catch it right away. And I don't know if it's necessarily intended this way, but it certainly could be interpreted this way. He brings Joshua forward, and he's in front of all Israel. So when it comes time later that anybody might say, hey, well, after Moses is gone, he's going to go up on Mount Nebo, and he's going to die, and he's not going to be with us anymore. Who is now the leader? Well, it's clear right here in the sight of all Israel that... Joshua is going to be the leader. He's inaugurated. He is now the leader. So there's not any question or dispute. So he goes up to Joshua before everybody. He goes right to Joshua and he goes to him and he says, you be strong and courageous. Everybody's watching. And he says, for you must go with these people into the land and you will cause them to inherit the land. This being the same people that mumbled grumbled, gave Moses a hard time at every turn. And he's turning to Joshua and he's looking straight at him and he says, those people, these people, you be strong and courageous, brother. You're going to need it because of what he's about to do. So there's a funny way to interpret here as he's turning to Joshua that this guy's going to need all the strength and all the courage he needs because he's now going to be the leader of these people, the people who are rightfully named the children of Israel. I've said before, because of their spiritual immaturity, that they did not learn all of these lessons of Scripture, of, of all the struggles of the wilderness, and they saw miracles, yet still didn't believe and still sin. And now Joshua, he's now got to take reins. He's going to need all the strength and all the courage that he's going to need. When it says that he has to go and cause them to inherit the land, this is the same kind of struggle that parents might run into with their own children, where a, a parent, a father, if you will, will have an inheritance, will have something that he's going to pass down to his child. And then that child, he's going to work to help them to earn that inheritance or cause them to inherit the blessings. But what do children do? Children do constantly various things that would cause them to cause a father to question whether they have earned that inheritance, that they're constantly, they, they disobey sometimes, and sometimes they do good things, sometimes they do bad things. And one of the things is that's one of the hardest things for parents, for a father, to raise up a child, mothers especially, actually mothers do a lot of the raising of the children, so I, I don't want to be exclusive to the fathers here, that teaching them that this is a struggle. God will be with you. God will not leave you nor forsake you. It's not going to be easy. But what you have the responsibility now to do, and God is encouraging you as the leader of some children, to cause them to inherit the blessings. Giving them what God has intended for them. You're to lead them in that process. It takes strength. It takes courage. It takes a, lot, a great deal of energy and time. It doesn't happen immediately, but that is a noble responsibility to be that person which raises up and, and when you see a father pass a great inheritance onto a son, especially a son that worked to deserve it, that's a wonderful blessing. Nobody questions that. Nobody has a problem with that. You only have the problem when the child is just spoiled and then they are, receive a great inheritance and no one feels that they deserved it. 
So one of the things as parents is that we have to, it's a, it's a catch-22, we have to raise up a child who is, er, earns that inheritance as well as is the one who we pass it on to them. This is one of the things that Joshua has to do. He's encouraged in the exact same way. Let me go to Joshua chapter 1 because this phrase um, this is reiterated here in Joshua chapter 1 as he's encouraged by now being the leader that these words were passed to Moses. But there's a couple of things. There's a little bit more detail here in Joshua chapter 1. So let me go there now and let me start reading. Uh, let me start reading at verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness that it, um, and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, as I was with Moses. So I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe and do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate in it day and night. That you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. I have, not com- have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the key here. Is that God will be with us. God will never forsake us. However, the stipulation on that is that we have to meditate on that law and those instructions day and night. That is the stipulation. We have to do what is according to that law, according to those commandments. It's not just God's going to, he's going to be with you, he's going to guide you, and then it doesn't matter what you do, God's always going to be with you. That's actually not the case. Because what what he's instructing us to do is to follow and do all that God has commanded for us to observe. All that law. Then our way is prosperous. Then we will have good success. This continues on also in as our as our portion continues on. There's a section here that talks about how when they go into the land. In fact, let me uh, go ahead and read. I'm going to uh, skip over a few verses and then come back. Let me now go to verse 14, back to our passage here in Deuteronomy 31. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tabernacle of meeting that I may inaugurate him. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of meeting. Now the Lord appeared at the tabernacle in a pillar of cloud, and, a pi- and the pillar of cloud stood above the door of the tabernacle. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers, and this people I will rise, will rise and play the harlot with the gods of foreigners of the land, where they go to be among them. And they will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have made with them. My anger shall be aroused against them in that day, and I will forsake them. And I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured, and many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us? 
And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they have done and that they have turned to other gods. This is a stipulation. It might look like a contradiction where God says, I will forsake them there, even though I just said I will not leave them or forsake them just a few verses earlier. But that goes back to that stipulation to follow after all the commandments God has given to not follow after other gods. God is with you. However, if you go after other gods, God will not walk with you. You to a place that is unclean. He will not be with you as you go in to worship some idol of some other foreign god. God will turn his face. He will hide himself from you if that's what you're going to do. And the children of Israel would say, is God not with us? No, God said he would be with you. However, you have gone after other gods. You have played the harlot and you have gone away from what the Lord has said, and at that point, God will not be with you. You have to be careful to observe and do, not just observe as it goes by, not to just uh, keep the Torah in a box and lock it away, but to do what God has commanded you to do through those commandments and through those instructions. Then, only when you do those, then God will not leave you nor forsake you. Something to keep in mind that you tie all of those passages together. Let me now go back to verse 9 of our Torah portion in Deuteronomy 31 because we do have another instruction here that actually has a lot of deeper meaning and is, is good for us, especially here today. Verse 9. So Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles... When all of Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and little ones and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law. And that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. As we are here in our Torah cycle, this portion always appears uh, about the time of September before the Feast of Tabernacles. And so we're getting ready to go into the Feast of Tabernacles. And what it says is every seven years on the year of release, on the Jubilee year, you're to gather everyone. And in their hearing, though your little ones, the uh, servant, the stranger among you, all of Israel are to hear with their ears all of the instructions of this law. Now, you might have been to a Feast of Tabernacles before where we've where you, they've done this, where they would read the entirety of the book of Deuteronomy. Some might even go as to, so far as to read all of Genesis through Deuteronomy during that time, during that year, and would do it in the hearing of all the audience that was there. Several things that are happening here and, and, and reasons for this. One is this instruction is to go to happen at the Feast of Tabernacles. Why? That's the time in which we're rejoicing. That's the time in which we're commanded to rejoice before the Lord with all the blessings that he, he's given to us to, to, to worship him and to celebrate. And at the same time, the law, when it's read, is to be a delight to us. To hear these words and these instructions on how to live uprightly before him, that this is to be a delight. Now, when you actually get to that point and you're sitting there and you think sometimes a service might be kind of long, well, when you're sitting and reading a whole lot of scripture, it can be long as well. Some might not hear it. Some might not hear that instruction in that case. But what it is instructed for us to do is to hear that word. 
Remember also in context the time in which we were talking about here. In ancient times, not everybody had a library. Not everybody had books. There were no printing presses. Nobody had a copy of the Book of Moses sitting in the, on their bookshelf in their tent or wherever they lived. That was not available to them at the time. And so in ancient times, this would have been extremely important. For the, Some person would actually sit and hear these words, and unless they were attending synagogue every single week and hearing the instructions of Moses every single week, which also was done as well, sometimes they would never hear all of these words, all of this law in context. They couldn't just go back to their Bible and Scripture and go and read it for themselves. As we are here today, many of us own our own Bible. We can sit and we can read the words on a regular basis we can reread it every every week if we wish but for ancient times this was extremely important there was times a seven-year-old had never heard the words and instructions of the law all the way in its entirety and what it is is every seven years this would this would happen this would this reading would take place and so then that seven-year-old who heard it for the first time, then they'd be 14 when they would hear it again. They would be 21 when they would hear it again. Those are actually very critical ages in which these children would need to hear this instruction, would need to hear these words and these commandments as somebody grows. Every seven years, you may have heard it said, our, every cell in our body changes every seven years. If you've ever done this and ever heard the words of the Lord, have you ever been reading your Bible and then suddenly read something and you're like, oh my gosh, I've never seen that before. Even though you've read the passage, even though you've read all those verses, you then will see something brand new that you, you, you would swear you've never heard it before actually in the scripture. Could be a different translation you're reading, could be something else. But what it is is though every seven years we change, our minds change, our, our thought process changes, our motivations change, our physical cellular bodies change. So then every seven years, it becomes new, it becomes fresh, it becomes alive again in us. Then we are to absorb that instruction, we are to read those words and have them penetrate us and have us take them to heart so that those commandments are written inside us. It's in our mouths, it's in our minds, it's in our hearts. That we're to remember those things. Every seven years, this would have been a great thing to have this renewing of the covenant that God has made with us. Also at the Feast of Tabernacles... Uh, um, when this was ever to be read, it was done at the end of the harvest. May we always remember where our blessings come from, from God, that it was that you would read all of these instructions and we would remember, oh yeah, that harvest we just brought in that we're rejoicing about. We also remember it was God that gave us those blessings. Also in the year of release. This is the time in which some debts would be forgiven. This is the time in which we would rest from, from all of our works to labor for um, the land and, and to grow crops on the sabbatical year. And that w one thing that you wouldn't want to be is that, hey, it's the year of release. Now go and, and, and hey, it's a wonderful thing. Let us just go and, and we can now do whatever again. It's the wonderful year of release. However... Before somebody just goes off and starts doing their own thing, because celebrating because it happens to be the year of release, let us remember the instructions. Let us remember the covenant. You don't just want to send somebody out with a great inheritance. You are free of all debts, and then are they going to go and just run off and be the prodigal again and go and squander whatever they have and, and, and forget the commandments and the covenants? Very possible. We're blinded by those that excitement of that moment. So in that year of release... Let us stop and let us read and remember the covenant and the instructions. Many different reasons why this would have been read at this time at the Feast of Tabernacles every seven years.
This is words to us, for us to remember, to encourage us to continue to stay in the word. To continue to remember those things. We live in a day and age where now there's even more distractions and more things that will lead us astray. That we have the amazing blessing of this book that is printed in front of us. That we can remember these words and these covenants. However, we struggle just as much as the ancients did. We sin and all have fallen short of the glory of God in the same way that our ancestors did as well. Let us remember that this was difficult to do in ancient times because not everybody had a copy of the scripture. Let us remember to continue to have these words and the witness of this book testify to us as a witness of the covenant God has made with us. And that's the theme that continues for the rest of our portion here. Let me now finish out our portion reading here at verse 19. Now, therefore, write down this song for yourself. Now, our next chapter will go into the Song of Moses, which will be our Torah portion for next week. And so there's going to be a song and and further instruction for Moses that will be continuing this theme next week. But let me finish out here in chapter 31. And teach it to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths so this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. When I have brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey, of which I swore to their fathers... And they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat, and they will turn to other gods and serve them, and they will provoke me, God, and break my covenant. Then it shall be, when many evils and troubles have come upon them, that this song will testify against them as a witness. For it will not be forgotten in their mouths and their descendants. For I know the inclination of their behavior today, even before I have brought them to the land which I swore to give to them. We still have this uh, this evil inclination today with that we go and follow after other gods. Verse 22, therefore Moses wrote this song on the same day, taught it to the children of Israel. He inaugurated Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, be strong and of good courage, for you shall bring the children of Israel into the land which I swore to them, and I will be with you. So it was when Moses had completed writing the words of this law in a book and they and they were finished that Moses commanded the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and saying, take this book of the law and put it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there as a witness against you. For I know your rebellion and your stiff neck. If today, while I am yet alive with you. You have been rebellious against the Lord, that how much more after my death gather to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers that I may speak these words in the hearing and call heaven and earth as a witness against them. For I know that after my death you will become utterly corrupt and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you and evil will befall you in the latter days. Because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. Moses is now speaking here toward the end and he's talking of the latter days. He's talking about today while the age of man is still present. That we still have an inclination to be rebellious. If we were rebellious then, then how much more rebellious are are we? If our leader, Moses, is now no longer with us. That we don't see him or follow after him. How much more rebellious are we? That's a description of the world today. As it is today. That we still are rebellious. We still are stiff-necked. We still follow after other gods. But Moses says that he's taken all of these words. He's put them in a book. He's written a song for us to cover next week. That stands as a witness against us. For the, a witness of the covenant that God has made with us and a witness for that we have sinned and transgressed the commandments of God. 
That is what this book is. We now have a copy of that book. We now have copies of that book in our hands, in our possessions, and that this book today stands as a witness to us. May we be encouraged to stay in that word, to stay in the instruction, to reread all of the words of these commandments. I pray that uh, those that are teachers, whether it's a church or a congregation, or whether it's this broadcast or any of the teaching instruction you receive, that uh, uh, on behalf of all the teachers and, and leaders, I pray that we are not the only scripture that you ever hear. I pray that it's not the words of those that stand here behind a pulpit that is all of those instructions. We have the witness. You have it in your hands. You have it in your possession. The words of Moses that God says is a witness. We're commanded to read it every seven years, but I just told you in this day and age, we can read it every day if we wish, unlike the ancients could. I pray that you would reread these words. That you would have them penetrate your heart and your soul and that you would call them to memory and and teach them to your children. That is what these words are for. They are for our benefit. They are for us to follow after. So in, if we do, if we follow these instructions, if we do according to these words, then God will be with us. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us in any challenge, trial, hindrance, tribulation that is ever before us cannot be overcome it may take struggle it may take pain it may take time but those things can be overcome if we are following and doing the words of the lord according to the law of moses it's very simple it's very near to us it's not far off on a, across the sea that you can't get it it's not up in heaven that you can't retrieve it it is very near to us it's in our mouth it's in our heart it's in our hands to read and receive that instruction let us continue to use that instruction and hear those words and have them guide us. And that it's then through the words of Moses, then it's also the words of Yeshua. And as leadership is turned to him, that he then leads us and guides us and allows us to enter into the promised land, into the kingdom in the latter days. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father. We come before you on the Sabbath day. We thank you for your words and your, your instructions, Lord. We thank you for giving us... This book before us, Lord, that we can read these words and these instructions. We thank you for the time that we find ourselves in, Lord. Even though it's a challenge, even though there's many trials and struggles and, and this world is a very unclean place, Father. We live in a time, Lord, when we can have the scriptures in front of us. They can be very near to us. That is no longer a challenge or a hindrance. And we don't have to wait seven years to hear all of your words and your instructions. Father, I pray that we would meditate on them day and night. I pray that they would penetrate us, they would be in our hearts, and we would just live by them. That we wouldn't have to call them to memory, Lord, but we simply live through them as we're led by your spirit. And it's not by our spirit, Lord. And I pray that we would continue to humble ourselves as if to die unto ourselves, Lord, and live in you each and every day. With these words, with these commandments, being led by your spirit, giving us the mind of Messiah, Lord, in all things that we do. We pray, Lord, and we thank you for Moses, for Joshua, for all the instructions of old to the ancients, to the children of Israel, Lord, and it's all for our instruction and for our benefit. So we love you, we bless you, we thank you on the Sabbath day. We give you all the honor, the glory, and the praise. It's in your Son, Yeshua, we pray. Amen. Now the blessing after the Torah. 
Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech Olam Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet V'chayelam Natabetocheinu Baruch Ata Adonai Nonten HaTorah Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the Universe who has given us the Torah of truth and has planted everlasting life in our midst. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Good to see everyone. Thank you, Ephraim, for the Torah teaching. Um, this Hof Torah... Uh, that goes with this Sabbath, it takes into account that we're in the days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And as I shared with you at the introduction, that this is Shabbat Shuvah, uh, which means repentance, the, the days of repentance. And we have, for the Haftor portion for this, that are tied directly into that, three specific passages. They're not very long, but three specific passages in the Haftor portion. Uh, from Hosea in chapter 14, from Micah in chapter 7, and then the prophet Joel chapter 2. Now, here is the interesting thing about these particular portions. They're going to speak to repentance, and they're also going to speak to uh, the good things that God is going to be doing for us as a result of the repentance. In other words, he's going to be literally telling us the wonderful things that will be taking place um, because we have returned to him and we have been restored to him uh, in the land and in our own spiritual walk uh, with the Lord. Now, the ultimate time uh, for um, this kind of repentance would be, of course, um, if we were on the brink of the Great Tribulation, if you knew that this in this season that the Great Tribulation is going to begin this winter and go for three and a half years, this particular set of holidays would be very special to you. And this message to repent before the Lord would be a very powerful message. And when he would talk about the things that he's going to do that's going to be good and gracious, he's literally, here's the goal. He, he's talking about the very good stuff that comes immediately after the days of the tribulation when the Lord returns and establishes his kingdom. Now, let me just, you know, kind of hypothetically, if it's a regular year, we're not having the great tribulation get ready to start. Why, most people go through this and they say, well, this is nice. You know, there's some key verses in here that you'll hear throughout the year. And some concepts. But consider with me for a moment, what if, what if this was the fall holidays just before the Great Tribulation gets started in the winter? And with that in mind, let's look at the passage and see what it specifically has to say and to see how that ties into it. So beginning first at Hosea chapter 14, let me uh, begin with verse 1. And we're going to look at the rest of this um, chapter, the conclusion to Hosea. And the first verse starts off with, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. That's the theme of Shabbat, um, Shabbat Shuvah. Return, O Israel, which is to repent. And the repentance is not only to turn, but go back toward the Lord. Make the journey to get back to the Lord. The whole concept 
of the scattered exiles and God gathering us up. It's the picture of repentance. It's the picture of being restored back to the promises that God gave to Abraham and to his descendants. He goes on to say this, For you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously, that we may present the fruit of our lips. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say again, Our God, to the works of our hands. For in thee the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them, and I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily. He will take root from the cedars of Lebanon. His shoots will sprout, and his beauty will be like the olive tree, and his fragrance like the cedars of Lebanon. Those who live in his shadow will again rise, raise grain, and they will blossom like the vine. His renown, renown will be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what more have I, do with, have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am a luxurious cypress. From me comes your fruit. And then finally the last verse says, Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. And the righteous will walk in them, but transgressors will stumble in them. Again, the call to repentance, the, the calling upon Israel to respond to the Lord, and then the Lord making promises that if you return, these wonderful things will happen for you. It'll be, it will be good and gracious things. These are the words that when we're talking about the days of repentance, the days of awe, that, that leads us to Yom Kippur in the final judgment. This is a call to repentance. So let's go to the next passage, which is given to us, which is in Micah uh, chapter 7. This is the, um, this is the final chapter of the prophet Micah. And in chapter 7 and verse 18, there's three verses here. And I'm sure you've heard these verses at other times, but this is traditionally the verses that are shared when we come to the repentance. Verse 18, Who is a God like thee, who pardons iniquity, and passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever, but he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Thou wilt give truth to Jacob, an unchanging love to Abraham, which thou didst swear for our forefathers from the days of old. It is all, God knew that we would fail. He knew that we would stumble and fall. But it's always been God's plan, even knowing that, that there will be a day coming when he will raise us up and he will forgive us. He will turn his face again toward us. He'll show compassion. And this is to bring about so that all see the compassion of the Lord and his, him fulfilling his promises he made to our fathers. And But it seems that the prerequisite for all of this to happen is that one has to turn back. 
to be able to receive this. Thus, we have this incredible, powerful lesson for us on this Sabbath in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. This is the time. This is the time to turn it back. Um, as Let me just remind you that Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, coming up shortly, is symbolizes the Day of the Lord. You might want to think about repenting before the day of the Lord. When the day of the Lord comes, that's when the judgment falls. Repent before that and stop taking it all the way up to the line. So we're, we're being given the urgent message to repent in advance and get back with the Lord correctly. Now let me take you to Joel chapter 2 is our third portion in this Haftorah. And uh, it begins at verse 15. It's going to go partway through this chapter. Let me read that portion to you. And you'll see there's a parallel as it pulls in these passages. Verse 15, blow a trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, Gather the children and the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom come out of his room and the bride out of her bridal chamber. Let the priests and the Lord's ministers weep between the porch and the altar. And let them say, Spare thy people, O Israel, and do not make thine inheritance a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they among the people say, Where is their God? These are the words. This is, this is the time we call a solemn assembly. This is the time that we gather. These are the holy days in which that we come and we ask God, spare us, forgive us. And we realize that we're in a world full of people who are challenging whether or not we have this God and whether or not they should follow God. In fact, I would just simply say to you that the world is shifting rapidly to a godless thing. And we are the people who are standing up and saying, no, our God is real. And, and we're getting ready to see how real he really is, uh, particularly when he saves us and he judges his enemies. All of the themes, all of the teaching of the fall holidays, and here are the words that go with it. But this portion continues on, and this is where it gets a little bit interesting. Verse 18. Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and will have pity on his people. And the Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I'm going to send you grain, new wine, and you will be satisfied and full with them. And I will never again make you a reproach among the nations, but I will remove the northern army far from you. I will drive it into a parched and desolate land and its vanguard into an eastern sea and its rear guard into the western sea. And its stench will arise, and a foul smell will come up, for it has done great things. Let me comment on that just for a moment. Uh, interestingly enough, this year's Feast of Tabernacles that we have, we picked the theme, Zealous over Zion. And Zion, if you do the study, you'll find out Zion is referencing the land. Zion is referencing Jerusalem. Zion is referencing the people and all of the kingdom of God. And he's saying that he's zealous for his land. In effect, he's zealous for Zion, that the Lord himself is zealous for Zion. And he speaks of a northern army. 
an army that will invade Israel and how they will be destroyed and how in the aftermath that there's a stench that rises up from them from all of the dead soldiers from it. The parallel passage to this statement in Joel you can find in Ezekiel 38 and 39. That's where the actual battle is described. And one of the things that uh, chapter uh, 38 and 39 talks about, it talks about the aftermath of the battle of what is necessary to clean the battlefield. That there will be special burial procedures associated with the uh, burial of the enemy that's been destroyed by the Lord as it came and invaded the land. Now, that passage, Ezekiel 38 and 39, as we're getting ready to come up for uh, tabernacles, happens to be the Haftor portion or the portion from the prophets that is taught at the Feast of Tabernacles. And so it has always been said by the sages of Israel, this great battle, we believe, will be associated with the fall holidays, namely tabernacles. That, and here we have the passage in the fall holidays here from Joel making mention, I will destroy that northern army. This is what's going to happen to him. You go into Ezekiel, he gives even more dis uh, description of this northern army coming into Israel and how they'll be destroyed. And so we have this being given just before Yom Kippur. That portion is being given during the Feast of Tabernacles. We're talking about stuff that we're talking about within the same two weeks. So it's talking about this time frame. That's the reason why the sages believe that Ezekiel 38:39 is going to be associated with the fall holidays. So if this, in fact, is the set of fall holidays that precedes the Great Tribulation, well, let me just tell you one of the things that's being hinted at here, we should watch and see if this northern army invades this fall. If they do. And we see the fulfillment of this, God entering the battle, destroy that army, and so forth. That is your first hint, I mean serious hint, that we are probably getting toward the start of the Great Tribulation. Uh, let me read a little bit further as to what uh, Joel has to say here. Uh, and, he's, and he's talking about the aftermath of this battle. Verse 21. Do not fear, O land, and rejoice and be glad, for the Lord has done great things. Do not fear, beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness have turned green. For the tree has borne its fruit, the fig tree and the vine have yielded its fruit. So rejoice, O sons of Israel, and be glad in the Lord your God, for he has given you the early rain for your vindication, and he's poured down for you the rain, the early and the latter rain. Before we go any further, the early rain is the rain that comes in the fall. Uh, one of the prayers is uh, the setting up your sukkah so you can see the stars through it. You're praying for rain, God's blessings, to come during the Feast of Tabernacles. And thus it is called the early rain uh, after the turn of the year. The, the latter rain is the rain that comes in the springtime. Listen to what he said. I'm going to give you the early rain for your vindication. That's another hint, another clue. This battle takes place in the fall. It takes place associated with those things. Verse 24, And the threshing floor will be full of grain, and the vats will overflow with new wine and oil, 
Then I will make up to you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the creeping locust, the stripping locust, and the gnawing locust, my great army which I sent among you. And you shall have plenty to eat and be satisfied and praise the name of your Lord, who has dealt wondrously with you. Then my people will never be put to shame. Thus you will know I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other, and my people will never be put to shame. Now, the only way that these verses can be fulfilled is if God shows up, wipes this enemy out, they're completely slaughtered, and it so impresses the world that the world is taken back because they see the evidence of, surely there's a God in the midst of Israel. The God of Israel has manifested himself to the whole world. The stage is now set for the Great Tribulation. Because the devil does not want the Lord to have that glory. And that's when he comes, you know, to do his battling, to oppress his people, um, God's people, during that time of the last three and a half years. And the promise of that is given to of the land and the produce of the land and the things like this, that can only be achieved, only can be established in the Messianic Kingdom. So he's obviously integrating his promises out here to the events of the end of the age leading to the Messianic age. But I must tell you that I am personally encouraged um, when I hear words like, my people will never be put to shame again. When it says that, uh, that the, the name of Israel will never be scorned again, because as you know... In all of our lifetime, uh, since the modern state of Israel came into being, the world is incessantly scorning them. The UN, for crying out loud, has filed more resolutions and motions against Israel. If you were to total up all of the ones they've done against other nations, it does not compare to the list of the ones they've done against Israel. The entire world in the United Nations has a very clear testimony of hating Israel, oppressing Israel, and being opposed to Israel, and trying to shame them at all times. Now, here's a wonderful promise that says the day is coming when their name will never be put to shame again. Uh, I can go ahead and just tell you that when that day comes, I don't think the United Nations will be relevant or around anymore because they have proven their track record. And whether other people in other nations understand this or not, but from a spiritual law standpoint, what the United Nations has said and done against Israel, every nation of the world is burdened and is just as guilty as they are. The prophecy said that all nations would come against Israel in the end, and we have that uh, fulfilled in our days. But here's God saying there's coming a moment when that will end. That will stop and will be no more. Now, as I had been telling you, this is associated with the fall holidays, associated with the Great Tribulation. Maybe you're sitting there going, well, Monty, I think you're just kind of speculating a little bit. You're kind of adding it into the end time scenario and so forth. No, I'm not. I'm going to teach this in context. Because the following passage, although it's not part of the Haftor portion, is the context of these words. Let me read to you what Joel has to say following what we just did. Verse 28. And it will come about after this. After what? 
after all this discussion that we've been talking about, this northern army, its vindication for Israel, all of these, these pronouncements being made upon Israel and so forth, it says, it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And even on the male and female servants, I will also pour my spirit in those days. And I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Any question about we're talking about the end times? Any question about we're talking about the day of the Lord and it's impending and coming to us? Do you see the correlation that the every year when we come to repent during the days of all, it's practice for the end of the ages when we're getting ready to go into the great tribulation and the day of the Lord? We've been practicing this for centuries. But you know it's going to fall finally upon one generation. It's going to fall finally upon the last generation. And here's a reference to the last generation in the final verse. Verse 20, uh, 32, And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be those who escape, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Those are the tribulation saints. Those are the 144,000 spoken of in Revelation chapter 7. These are the people that are in the days of the great tribulation. And yet, despite all of these things happening to the earth, despite all the judgments of God upon the earth and upon his enemies, the remnant, those that belong to him, Israel, the remnant of Israel, the survivors, those who escape, they make it. As, as incredible as that sounds, they make it. And, and it, it clearly says those that make it in the final generation, God called them and has, has decreed that they be delivered. And that he himself will be involved in the deliverance. These... Um, this, these prophecies, in fact, if I were to take you back to Hosea and, and Micah that we read earlier, I could show you in context each of these passages have to do with the same subject. They have to do with things that will happen at the end of the age. They have to do with the events we call the Great Tribulation um, and, um, and the Day of the Lord. Now, one of the things that we are called to in this repentance is not just a corporate repentance, and we'll have a religious service and we'll do some corporate things together. We'll have some liturgy that walks us through some penitential psalms and some things like that. But real repentance is individual. It's from the heart. It's each and every one of you going before the Lord and asking the Lord to forgive you and spare you. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved and delivered in the days ahead. I have always said that rather than waiting for the days of the great tribulation, waiting for those final events and the judgments of the fall of the earth, that's not the time to pray and ask God to deliver you and your family. You're supposed to have done that beforehand. 
And that's the reason why we have the days of all and the Shabbat Shuva. That's the reason why we have this cycle that we're in with the fall holidays. To get us ready for whenever that year is that the Great Tribulation comes. So that as we enter into those events, we're already on record with the Lord. We're already the ones being called to be delivered and to be saved. So, in my introduction, I said, what would it be like if this was the final set of fall holidays leading to the Great Tribulation beginning this winter? And by the time we wrap around another year, we're in the midst of the Great Tribulation. What would we do... With this particular set of days of awe, what would we do with the teaching of Shabbat Shuva? I submit to you that we would take this very seriously. And if we didn't, we would suffer the consequences of not getting back with the Lord correctly. Echoing this same thing is Revelation 2 and 3, where the Messiah gives messages to the churches in the last days. And he said, you've got to correct certain things. You've got to turn away from those things you're doing that are in air, and you've got to turn back. And he said, and if you don't do it, my coming will be to you like I'm coming quickly. If suddenly the events are upon us. And the, I, I hate to say this, but when the, the tribulation gets started, we've been talking about all the signs that will be before it, there's, it's still going to catch all kinds of people unawares. It's still going to catch believers not understanding the days that we've been living in, all the signs God gave beforehand, understanding the prophecies beforehand, and it will still catch many unprepared. The greatest preparation for getting ready for the Great Tribulation is not um, your tactical gear and your trailer and your, your sukkah and your tent. That's not your greatest preparation. Your greatest preparation is right now when you get your heart right with the Lord and you know who you believe in and why you believe in Him. That is the greatest preparation for the end of the age. And that's what this Shabbat is about. I pray that you will take it to heart and that you will consider the message seriously. Shabbat Shalom. And now we leave you with the ironic blessing. <laughs>
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.